Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. As we've turned the page to a new year, many are wondering what will come next and how to navigate it when it does. We invite you to tune into our series, What Now? How Tomorrow Shapes Today, as we explore the words of Jesus in Matthew 24 and 25. Together, we'll learn to look toward the future because what we believe about tomorrow defines the way we'll spend today. Let's discover God's answer to the question on everyone's mind. What now? Good morning, good morning. Happy Sunday, spring. Beautiful weather outside. I'm excited about the next two weeks, and I'm excited to be here this morning and to preach for you. I love this passage. Um, and if uh, you've been with us the last couple of weeks, as we work through Matthew 24 and 25, we've been asking the question, are you ready? Are you ready? How about this question? Are you ever ready? You know, there's a lot of things you could ask that about in life. Are you ever ready to go off to college? Are you ever ready to get married? Are you ever ready to become parents? Are you ready to retire? For some of you, you may be wrestling through that question. Allie and I have also, although I'm not quite retirement age. Um, we recently began working with a financial planner, an investment advisor. It's the first time we've done this. We're both going to be 40 in the next couple of months. And so we thought, well, maybe it's time to let somebody who's an expert on the outside have a look at some things and help us to think through uh, just, you know, our, our potential future. And so we began that process on Zoom. Uh, with some readiness questions. You know, what, what does it look like to be ready if and when our kids want to go to college? How do we prepare for that? Um, there was the question of, uh, are we on track? With, you know, where we are right now, are we on track for, for planning ahead the next 20 or 25 years? And when we get there, how much income are we going to need? I have no idea how to answer that question in 20-something years. Well, candidly, it's difficult to know what to anticipate for the future. It's difficult to answer that question at times. I don't know what tomorrow will bring, let alone when I am Lord willing in my 60s. Neither do I know the next big issue that our world is going to face. I don't know the next crisis that my family may encounter. And for a serial planner who likes a measure of control and to plan ahead and minimize risk, is anybody in the room with me on this? That, thank you. Thank you, Leslie, for your honesty. Uh, this can evoke some feelings of, of anxiety and frustration about predicting the future. So this morning, interestingly, Jesus asks the question again, are you ready? What does it mean to be ready for Jesus' return? So we're in Matthew 24 and 25, and I want to be reminded, we looked at this several weeks ago, that that the reason this is an important thing to talk about is because Jesus said to us in Matthew 24, 44, he said, therefore you also must be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. So we're told we have to be ready as followers of Christ, be ready, but how? And Jesus so kindly gives his disciples in this teaching, he gives them four, gives them four parables to begin to, to get at the, the how question. And so last week, if you were with us or you listened on the podcast, we uh, looked at the parable of the ten virgins, which Pastor Jacob uh, probably better named in our context is the parable of the ten bridesmaids. And that was the idea of being spiritually prepared. 
And today, Jesus is going to unpack in the parable of the talents. I love this passage. He's going to unpack what readiness looks like for his disciples, and he's going to tell us that being ready means being diligent. It requires faithfulness and diligence. And so when it comes to being a disciple of Jesus, diligence means that we faithfully serve our master. We serve Jesus. And so allow me to set a little bit of context as we jump into Matthew 25 this morning. Um, This will guide our hearts and our minds a little bit as we explore this teaching. Jesus often used these simple stories to explain or to illuminate some spiritual truth. And uh, parables have a way of of communicating in creative and relatable ways. I found that to be true this week in my study. So if you would please grab your Bible, your Bible app. We've got some on the back connect desk if you need one. We're going to jump into the story Jesus is telling in Matthew 25, starting in verse 14. I will tell you that this story is broken up in three different scenes, and so that's how I've broken it up. And we begin with scene one, what I'm calling the distribution of the talents, in verse 14. Jesus says, For it will be like a man going on a journey, who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. So right at the very top, it says, for it will be like, reminds us of what? If you look one paragraph before, it reminds us that we're talking about the kingdom of heaven because 25 verse 1 says, the kingdom of heaven will be like. So here he follows the same pattern. The kingdom of heaven will be like a man who goes away on a journey. Now this man happens to be a master. He's a He has uh, property of of some kind, and he wants it to be cared for while he is away. And so he calls three servants to him, and he's going to distribute. He's going to portion out some responsibility to make sure that his things are cared for. The text actually says he gave them talents. Now, in this era, just a reminder, maybe you're unfamiliar with that term, but in, in this era, talent meant Uh, the largest unit of currency. It was usually weighed in gold or silver. And so it was the largest unit of currency. If you think about ours, it's the $100 bill. Back in this day, it's the talent. Now, here's kind of a fun fact that I uncovered. Around the 15th century, the word talent in English moved from meaning just money to ability or aptitude. You know, we talk about someone being a very talented singer, a talented athlete, a talented entrepreneur, a talented speaker, etc. And so what I thought was interesting is, do you know how this word changed? That's called etymology, in case you're, you're wondering. That's a $5 word. Do you know how this word changed in its basic meaning from money to ability? It was actually because of this parable. This parable was applied to so many other uh, things that it began to, it really shifted in how people saw the word and it moved from money to be ability. And so I want you to please tuck away in your mind as we work through this story that when we hear the word talent, it symbolizes more than just money, but certainly not less than only money. So the servants are entrusted with money and a lot of it. If you do the math, which I'm going to let scholars and people who are smarter do that for me. If you do the math, a a talent was equivalent to 20 years wages. We'll call it 20 years of minimum wage today. If you do the math, it could be anywhere from $400,000 to $1.4 million per talent. So let's just somewhat 
cut that in the middle, and, and let's call it a million dollars just for round numbers today. So to one, he gave five million. To one, he gave two million. To the other, he gave one million. And I think we can all agree we're talking about some serious resources. And Jesus said that each was given talents according to his ability. So apparently one had great ability, one had average ability, and one had minimal ability. And I don't know if if you're like me, but when I hear that, I immediately hear this argument in my head, well, that's not fair. That doesn't seem fair. Why didn't the master give everybody a chance? And yet I'm reminded the master did invite all of them. They all had a role to play, didn't they? They all had something that they needed to do to serve. And he was not expecting, sorry, i got to silence the device up here. It's chirping. He did not expect everyone to carry the same responsibility. And I'm reminded in God's kingdom, it's the same. When he gives us gifts, they're according to who you are and who I am. It's different from person to person, and he doesn't expect everyone to carry the same weight. Some are given more than others. We've been given different resources if we're in Christ to diligently accomplish our specific task. Even look at Jesus' closest followers. Peter, James, and John had closer access to Jesus when he was in his earthly ministry. And Peter's role was different than John's, and John's was different than Andrew's, and Andrew's was different than Mary Magdalene, who hung out with them a lot. And so everybody has a different one. But the, the point is, are we being faithful with what he's given us as we wait for the return of Christ? Remember, we have to be ready. It calls us back to readiness. So, for example, in my home, I have an almost six-year-old and I have a three-and-a-half-year-old. And my eldest, Audrey, we are now, since she's old enough, we're training her that after dinner is done, you ask to be excused and you get up from the table, take your plate, take your dishes over and set them next to the, the sink on the counter, Right? That's a good and right thing for her to learn. Now, Jack, her little brother, doesn't want to miss out on anything. So he wants to do this stuff too, which is great. And we want to shepherd him in that. But Jack is still learning the art of not running into walls and chairs as he's carrying things. Like, you know, he's so focused on this that he doesn't see what's in front of him. And so we have learned wisely that we let him carry things that are not breakable. We let him carry things that don't still have uh, juice or, or... or milk, or water in his cup. We let him carry things that don't have food on the plate still, because otherwise they invariably end up just on the floor. And then that's a scene. And so it's not that we love Audrey more and we love Jack less. No, we know in our parental wisdom that Audrey is ready for more. We can give her more responsibility because she is able to take that. And how many of us, if we're honest, get caught up in the deception of comparison. You know, we look at others, we look at how they live, or at least how they project that they live. We see what they post, we see the car they drive, we see the vacation that they go on, we see all sorts of things, and we start, even talent and ability, like, boy, look at this person, they have leadership in the church, or they sing up on stage, well, why can't I? Can't? We, we, we start to spiral, and if I can speak candidly, Don't do that. For your own soul, don't do that. Comparison kills. It sucks all the joy 
and the peace and the gratitude out of our lives, and I believe it's a tool that Satan loves to use. It's one of the ways that he stirs us up, makes us dissatisfied, because it really doesn't matter whether you have been given five or two or one. Remember, for those of us in Christ, we just sang about the cross and the wonderful, extravagant blessings that are ours. We've all been lavished upon, and we've all been invited by God to carry out His work diligently. He has blessed us with that. So purpose in your heart to blind your eyes of comparison and instead magnify your eyes of abundance. Be thankful, be grateful, be trustworthy. Remember another parable that Jesus talked about in Matthew 20. It was the parable of uh, the laborers in the vineyard. And there were some who had labored all day, and then there were some other laborers who came later in the day. And at the end of it all, the master paid them all the same amount of money. Now, had I been one of the ones who'd been sweating all day long, (laughs) I would have been like them in the text. I would have grumbled, I would have complained, I would have said, wait a minute, that's not, I, I would have fallen into that trap of comparison. But the text says, Jesus says this in Matthew 20, 15, am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? You will never diligently serve the Lord when you're dissatisfied with his generosity. You'll never serve the Lord if you're dissatisfied with what he's given to you. You can't. You're distracted by what you don't have, that you feel like you should have. You start comparing and it just spirals and you'll never live in a place of gratitude and overflow. The call from Jesus here is for us to respond rightly to what God has entrusted. To respond rightly, to guard our minds. And so I wonder, what did the servants do with their talents? Let's move on to scene Number two, the use of their talents, and we'll pick it up in verse 16. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also he who had the two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. So immediately the first servant says, let's go. My master has trusted me. I want to manage it well. I have no idea when he's going to get back, and so I want to make this work. I want to be a good, a good employee to him. And so he goes and he multiplies it. It doubles. His investment doubles, whatever he did. And remember, it was based on his ability. And so clearly, he was a very able-bodied servant. And the second does the same. He doubles his investment. And Jesus is making clear here, these are faithful servants. These are examples of faithful servants. And this is the model for each of us to follow Jesus is holding them up in his story as these are the ones to be like. And so we come to Jesus, we come to him with open hands, empty hands. We receive whatever he has placed in our hands and we multiply it for the good of others and ultimately for our master's glory. Think about how Jesus illustrated this in Matthew 14. You likely know the story of the feeding of the 5,000 with just a little boy's packed lunch. The day had been long. Jesus had been teaching and teaching and teaching, and the the crowds didn't have enough food to last uh, all day long, and Jesus tells his disciples, why don't you give them something to eat? 
whoa, we don't have that. <laughs> well, what do you have? Well, the disciples said, Matthew 14, 17, we have only five loaves here and two fish. And Jesus said, bring them here to me. And he ordered the crowds to sit down on the grass. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and he said a blessing. And he broke the loaves and he gave them to the disciples and they gave them to the crowds. And they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up 12 baskets full of the broken pieces left over. And those who ate were about 5,000 men besides women and children. That is a lot of mouths to feed, right? What a beautiful miracle and what a beautiful model that the disciples came empty-handed and they received from the Lord and as they tore off the Lord's bread and they broke off some of the Lord's fish and they gave it to the crowds it multiplied over and over and over and over and over again such that at the very end there was such abundance the master multiplied that because of their faithfulness. And so Jesus is saying to us, reinvest. What the Lord has placed in your hands for God's kingdom, to reinvest for the kingdom of God. So how's your investment strategy going? I'm still learning ours at the very beginning, but how about yours? How about your spiritual investment strategy? How are you doing with what the Lord has entrusted to you? We see here, be faithful in the small stuff. Although how could five million or two million or one million be small stuff? It tells you the riches of the master, doesn't it? Be faithful in the small stuff today and you will see growth and kingdom dividends as you are putting your life for God's purposes. At the beginning I mentioned that the talent symbolizes so much more than money but not less than money. And I wonder, money holds a really powerful place in our hearts. That's why Jesus talks about it so much. He teaches on it. And as a very practical and specific point of application, some of us had money deposited in our bank account this week. And whether or not you agreed with or even wanted this latest round of economic impact payment, the fact is, for those who qualified, there it was, or there it soon will be if you're getting a check or, or a future distribution. Now, my initial thought was awesome. Well, besides the whole, like, I don't want to pay it in the future, but it was awesome. I've got some more money that I can put into savings. Allie and I have been talking about a couple things around the house. That's great, right? And while it's prudent to save, there's lots of biblical texts about being prudent for the future and saving, and there's nothing wrong with buying things that are enjoyable to us and convenient. It's a heart thing, remember? Allie and I sense the Spirit reminding us, though, to be good stewards, not just hoarders, not just consumers. Now, hear me out. Your family may legitimately need that money. I don't minimize that at all. Praise God for His provision. But there might be some of us in the room that don't actually need all of that. We don't really need it. And I want to challenge you because Jesus does. He challenges us to be good stewards of what he has given and to invest in God's kingdom. So what could it look like to live in a way that is open-handed and generous with what he has given us financially? 
Well, let me ask, who in your neighborhood, who in your network, could you tangibly bless? I'm not talking about a tax write-off necessarily from, a, from an organization, but is there somebody that the Lord has given you relationship with? You have the ability to be in their life and you could identify a need and you could bless their socks off. What about a group or a project that is pushing back darkness and that is taking ground for God's kingdom that you could support? What is it that in this world, what, what stories of, of good work stir your affections for Jesus that you say, yeah, I, I could financially partner, I could help that. Listen, this isn't me guilting you into give to Woodside. Although for me, I am moved by stories from our very own Farmington Hills <clears throat> community, from our global partners. We, we watched about church planting in India a few weeks ago, a month ago. I mean, I'm moved by those stories and everything in between, and I want to be faithful. I want to be generous toward God here with our church. But I have to preach this message to myself, too. What does it look like to live open-handedly financially? Because I know how easy I can move to a place of fear instead of faith with my finances. Are you investing whatever God has placed into your hands? Are you investing as a faithful servant? Yes, money, but not only money. Is your life reflective of the reign of Christ in your life and how you spend time and money. His kingdom, if you're looking for a good investment strategy, his kingdom is the most stable, profitable, and rewarding and dependable investment you'll ever find. There is absolutely no risk to whether there will be dividends. So invest well reinvest for God's kingdom. Because the third servant we see in the text did not invest well. This is Jesus holding up an example of someone who was not faithful. He went into the field, he dug a hole, and he buried the talent, his master's talent. Now, for context, we'll give him a little bit of a pass because in those days there was not formal banking like you and I experience. So it was not uncommon for somebody to hide valuables in the ground. Where do you think we get the phrase digging for buried treasure? So he, he hid the master's money in the ground, but he didn't actually um, make it work. He was unfaithful in that he was inactive. One commentator has said that, that he, by doing nothing, he was committing sin by essentially robbing his master of the increase. Remember, the whole purpose when his master went away was for him to manage, to manage this. And we've already seen what it looked like to manage. It meant doubling the investment. But he abandoned, this third servant abandoned his purpose. And so what happens next? He returns, the master returns, and we move into scene three, the accounting time, beginning at verse 19. Now, after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here I have made five talents more. His master said, Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. 
And he also who had the two talents came forward saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here I have made two talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. So the master returns to settle accounts, or rather to settle his accounts. Because remember, it was all his to begin with. He merely entrusted it to them. It was his property, and he gave it to them to be good stewards. Everything the servants had was borrowed. So he comes back to see how they did with his resources. And both the first and the second servants doubled their investment, and they were praised as good and faithful servants. They were rewarded with additional responsibility. The master knew their ability to begin with, and he affirms them of that when he gets back. He praises them. They use their potential wisely, and they were equally rewarded, even though ten talents is not the same as four. They were equally rewarded by the master. Now look at verse 24. He also who had received the one talent came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid. And I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here, you have what is yours. So this third servant gives the master the one talent back that he received a long time ago. So what was the difference? What was the difference between servant number three and one and two? Why? Why was he inactive? Well, we can look a little bit at the text. Verse 25 says that he was afraid. And look at the words, though, that he uses to describe the master. He says, you're a hard man. You reap where you don't sow. You gather where you haven't scattered. I honestly don't think he even liked the master in the first place. He has a very low opinion of the one who invited him to serve and entrusted him with a chunk of change, with some talent. There was no spirit of joy or gratitude for his master, but he responds with fear and resentment and bitterness and anger. And this was manifested then through poor stewardship and complete inactivity. The master does not simply act disappointed. Look at his language in verse 26. He is enraged at him. And he said, here, excuse me, he says, you wicked and slothful servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scattered no seed? Well, then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and at my coming I should have received interest, received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has the ten talents. For to everyone who has will more be given, and he will not and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So instead of affirmation, this third servant receives condemnation. Instead of joy, he receives isolation and despair. Not greater responsibility, no responsibility. It's all stripped away. 
And here at the end of this parable, as Jesus seems to be talking about so much more than just three servants and so much more than the master entrusting them with physical goods, we're reminded of the original question. What was the whole purpose of this story? Well, it's how do we be ready? And we're reminded that we must remember the return of the Lord. We have to remember that Jesus is coming back. We don't know when. Jesus was saying to his disciples in this teaching, listen, I have given you an invaluable gift. You have knowledge of my kingdom. You have the good news of the gospel. You're not all the same. I've made you differently. You have different roles to play. My purposes for you aren't all the same, but one day I will return. And when I do, I will see it will be evident what you have done for me. What have you done with my investment in you? I'll see it. If you're faithful, then serve me. I will actually know, by coming back, I will know and be able to see whether or not you love me, whether or not you serve me, whether or not you follow me. Your faith will produce diligence or not. Your faith will be put to work or not. And if you're faithful, you'll double it. You'll double it. It's based on our abilities, and I have empowered you for a specific purpose. And when I come again, if you are found faithful, your joy will be endless. It will never end. It will be abundant. And friends, Jesus' message to his disciples on the Mount of Olives is the same to us today. Nothing has changed. We still are following Jesus. We're still seeking to be diligent servants with what he's placed in our hands. But you and I live in a, a time and place which there's great temptation to bury or to neglect our gift. It's so easy for us to forget that he's called us to serve and to love our brothers and sisters in Christ, to meet their needs, to share the good news with others outside of our spiritual family. Sometimes we think only of comfort and convenience because that's just the world we live in. It really is comfortable, and it's easy to neglect the opportunity of faithful service and sacrifice. In the life group that Allie and I lead, just this past week, we began sharing our life stories with one another. And I don't just mean our testimonies of how the Lord saved us and the story of grace, but I mean, what are the, the big moments of our lives that have shaped our view of who we are and shaped our view of who God is, that have really molded us into the people that we are? And so it's an opportunity for us to, to share um, and, and to be honest, some of the hurt and the, the struggles that have led us in our journey to be transparent with one another, where we need grace, where we've needed healing, where we've seen God's hand at work, some of the joys that we've experienced. And concurrent with this, we're also taking a spiritual gift inventory and so as we share, as each individual person shares their story, 
they're also having the opportunity to share uh, this is how it seems that God has equipped me, the gifts that he has given me, who I am from Ephesians 4, uh, which we looked at a little over a year ago. So this, the spiritual gifts from Ephesians 4. Um, and sharing our stories and sharing our spirit giftedness is also for our accountability, not just our encouragement, but for our accountability. Because I don't want us to just be a people that gets together on Wednesday nights and has some great conversation and has a cookie and, you know, we, we look at the Bible and we're friends. and like, I don't want that for us. I actually want so much more from us. I want to really experience how can the Lord do something with a group of broken but faithful followers of Jesus? How can Jesus use us for our community? How can he use us in each other's lives to speak words of life and truth and challenge to one another? How are we focused on being faithful to Jesus as we wait for his return? We don't want to squander an opportunity. I don't. I don't, want, I don't want to be the wicked and slothful servant. I don't want my life group to be that way. And so we are, we are walking through this so that we're aware of one another. Who's at the table? Who can we lean on? How do we encourage and cheerlead you? And I wonder for you, are you a good and faithful servant? Will Jesus, your master, say one day, great job, I have so much more for you. I don't even know what your view of Jesus is today. I don't know everybody in the room. I don't know if you see Jesus as master. Is he benevolent and affirming to you? I don't know. He could be. Today could be the day of your salvation. Today could be the day that he rescues you from worthlessness. And he fills you and he empowers you by his spirit. That's what the cross and the empty grave and the pouring out of the Holy Spirit that we read about in Acts, that's what it's all about, to rescue us, to connect us back to God, to fill us and to deploy us for his purposes. And today could be the day of your salvation. You don't know. Everyone will be forced to acknowledge Jesus as Lord, whether you are in his family or whether you're not, every person who's alive when Jesus comes will be forced to reckon with that. And I don't know when he's coming and I don't want you to miss it. So please, today, if he is not your savior, if he's not your Lord, don't leave here. Come and find me in the lobby. If you are one of Jesus' servants and you haven't been faithful, if you know that in your heart, do you know where to get started? Are you aware of what he's placed in your hands? You need some help in that? You know, every month or so, we stand up here, we share opportunities of ways that we can plug you in to serve your brothers and sisters in Christ right here at Woodside Farmington Hills. And I want to invite you, I mean it, there's a bulletin nearby you. Would everybody just grab a bulletin right next to you? Please. If you open it inside, there's a Connect card. I'm asking everybody in the room to just grab it. I'm, I'm not going to coerce you, but inside is a Connect card. And on the back side, there's a serve category with five things. We've obviously had to simplify some things since we reopened over the last year. We don't have as much going on around here, but every Sunday, we have needs and opportunities for you to bless your brothers and sisters in Christ, to bless the little ones that we're trying to welcome into as brothers and sisters of Christ. And I'm asking you, would you please jot your name down, jot your email down, check one of those boxes 
drop it in a box on your way out, one of the doors, or hand it to me in the lobby. That's an opportunity for you to tangibly demonstrate faithfulness one time a month. Talk about being faithful with little. One time a month, about an hour to an hour and 20 minutes, one time a month. Would you please consider that? That's an opportunity for you to get started. But the challenge from our text today is much more than just faithfulness and attendance on Sunday morning. You and I know that. Faithfully serving the master encompasses and permeates all of our lives. Wherever we live, wherever we work, wherever we learn, wherever we play, there is no sacred secular divide. You know, that's a myth. There is no, this is the part of my life that's church and I, I do it on Sunday, I have my life group, and then over here is my, is my play and it's my work. That's, that does not exist. Jesus claims lordship over every space of your life. It's his. Every resource you have, your talent, your time, your treasure, your influence, your relationships, all of those were entrusted to you by your master. Are you being faithful at those things? Are you being faithful in little? Don't bury your gift. Don't neglect it. Don't miss out on the opportunity. I don't know when he's coming. Don't risk hearing, you wicked and slothful servant. Who wants to hear that from Jesus? You know, I think one of the evil one's great schemes in the Western church today and his success is to lull us to sleep, to lull us to lethargy. them a little bit of church, just a little bit of the Jesus hit. They'll be comfortable. They, they won't be really active. Keep them complacent. I think that's a battle cry of the enemy forces. I really do. I read in January 2004 It's when I first read John Piper's book, Don't Waste Your Life. I don't know if you've read it. It's a beautiful and convicting read on living with passion for God. And I want to read this in closing because I'm I'm convicted by it again, and I need this word this morning. He writes, I am wired to love the same toys that the world loves. I start to fit in. I start to love what others love. I start to call earth home. Before you know it, I'm calling luxuries needs and using my money just the way unbelievers do. I begin to forget the war. I don't think much about people perishing. Missions and unreached peoples drop out of my mind. I stop dreaming about the triumphs of grace. I sink into a secular mindset that looks first to what man can do and not what God can do. This is a terrible sickness, and I thank God for those who have forced me again and again toward a wartime mindset. Listen, I don't know what you're processing today. As you hear this, I don't know what goes through your mind where you hear words of affirmation from the Holy Spirit or words from challenge, words of challenge from Jesus. But let me encourage you in this. If you're feeling like you have not been faithful, if you're feeling like you've just been ordinary, look to the cross. 
be reminded of your identity first, that he saw something in you. He knew full well what he was buying when he sacrificed his life on the cross for you. And so look to the cross to find your identity and to be reminded of what this is all about. And then remember, there is grace and there is abundance and there is freedom that comes in living in Jesus. And he gave us such a beautiful gift. He gave us the Holy Spirit. Read in Acts. Work your way through Acts, I encourage you, in your own time to be encouraged and reminded of how he empowered people. Remember Peter was just a smelly fisherman? And look at he is, he's like preaching sermons to thousands. You think that was Peter? No, that was his master empowering him and entrusting him, and he stepped up to the plate. And God intends to use each and every single one of you And truthfully, you go to places and you interact with people every single week that neither Pastor Jacob nor I nor our ministry team will ever get to. We'll never see these people. We'll never talk to these people. And yet God has placed you there for a purpose. Are you stewarding those conversations well? Are you serving Jesus? Remember what you've been given, what you've been entrusted with. Reinvest for God's kingdom. Remember, Jesus is coming again soon and be ready for that and be ready to experience joy and abundance like you'll never even believe. Father, thank you so much for trusting us to carry your mission forward. Boy, we are weak. We are broken people. We are far too easily satisfied by things around us, the world. We lose sight of our marching orders. We lose sight of the things that you placed in our hands and how you expect us to live. Thank you for this beautiful story from Jesus as he taught his disciples and he continues to teach this disciple. May we be found faithful May we see more of you, more of your hand. We won't always get the the abundance on this side, Father. I really think that that's a spiritual promise. There's so much more for us that you have in your kingdom, and I can't wait to see you face to face. Could you even come today, please, Lord? Help me to be found faithful in these people to be assured of your love and your trust in them and what you're inviting them to step into. There's so much more. Help us to be diligent. We love you. We pray this in the good name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org slash connect to introduce yourself to us today.